Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. And through the whole experience of the BDSM session, there's only one thing you have to say in practice. In every moment, it's yes, mistress. I accept. Thank you. Every moment of pleasure, pain, degradation, it's that practice. Yes, I accept. Thank you. I accept being tortured by this reality. I accept this chaos that I can't control. And I'm finding a way to say thank you because I'm seeing something that I couldn't see before. I know myself more deeply now. I know myself. I know my limits. I know how limitless I can be. I know how soft these spaces are, this boundary is when I could be pushed. And something happens when you could find your pleasure and pain, your freedom and bondage, and your power and submission. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Colette, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thanks for having me. It is my pleasure to have you here. So I found out about you by way of one of our former guests, Amy Chan, who wrote this amazing uh, book about heartbreak. And I saw that she had shared something about a program that you guys were doing together. And I was incredibly intrigued about it. So I thought, okay, well, I'd like to talk to you as well. But before we get into all of that, given the nature of your work, I thought I would start asking you, what social group were you a part of in high school? And what impact did that end up having? having on where you've ended up and the choices you've made with your life and your career. Ah, what social group? I felt like I was kind of this person that went in and out of many social groups. So I was kind of, um, I held like an office position in every club in high school, except for like Black Student Union and Latin Society. And I hung out with jocks Sometimes I hung out with my nerdy friends. I hung out with um, my Asian gangster friends. But I honestly didn't feel like any of those groups were my group. And I was looking for like the group of weirdos to hang out with. And like yeah. the weirdest group in school were like the thespian goths. And, 
I, I didn't feel like that was quite my vibe. And uh, so for, I'd say most of high school, I was like blending in with as many groups as I could, but never felt like I was truly a part of it. And it was my group yeah. until I um, connected with another weirdo in high school who had a crush on me. And then we started dating. It was my first boyfriend. And he brought me to this um, place in Orange County called Coos Cafe. And this is where all the misfits of Orange County convened and <laughs> made music and made art. And all of a sudden it was like the senior year of high school. I was like, oh my God, I found my group. It wasn't in high school. It wasn't in my physical high school, but it was in this place that just had the most awesome weirdo kids that I, I felt like was my tribe. Yeah. Um, it's funny because, you know, like the OC is one of my favorite TV shows of all time. And, you know, you're describing basically the opposite of what I probably saw on TV. I mean, I grew up in Southern California as well. So, you know, I know it well, but I'm from Riverside, which, you know, people in Orange okay. County basically consider the ghetto from, what, you know, uh, was portrayed on that show. Um, you, you mentioned that you didn't really find your people until, you know, you found this sort of group of weirdos. And we have a lot of parents who listen to this show. And I always wonder, you know, for people like you, you know, who, you know, found this group of weirdos that you connected with, if parents are listening to this, what would you tell them uh, about, you know, having their kids sort of find their people in high school? Because I certainly didn't in high school. I think, you know, I was a band geek, but that was more mm. out of, you know, necessity or proximity, not necessarily, you know, true connection. What would I tell parents to um, probably just to... <sighs> explore their like what activates and excites their their child like what is it that really turns you on and it's you know it's not what most parents tell their kids when they're in school right it's just like do your homework get good grades but really it's like what what excites you and like i know at the time i was this overachieving valedictorian but at the, there was this other side of myself that wanted to explore like weird things and that was before the internet and mm -hmm. all we had was you know tv films and MTV and, and, um, and music. And so I went deep into exploring cinema and alternative music. And that was my outlet. And I, I think that was how I tried to find my friends. I was like, are you into the same things I'm into? And the people in high school weren't. And when I found the group who were into, you know, similar music, similar art, similar films, I was like, oh, this is my tribe. And so just as, I, I would say the advice is explore what excites you and what makes you feel like this is resonating with you and go deeper in that space and find yeah. people who also are interested in the same things you are. And that's how you could speak your common language with them and find your tribe and feel connected. Yeah. Well, I mean, you mentioned that you're this, you know, overachieving, you know, valedictorian type uh, bad. I, that makes me wonder what the narrative about careers was uh, around your household growing up. You know, what kind of advice did your parents give you uh, about, you know, what paths to pursue in life? Well, you know, I'm Vietnamese American and my parents were refugees. And so, as you can imagine, they were conservative, they're traditional, and their model of what successful is, is becoming a doctor, a lawyer, something that they could tell all the relatives. I'm Indian, so <laughs> yeah. I can relate. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> something very stable, secure, and has a high status at that time. And so that was the model of what success was looking to, you know, our cousins who all finished uh, med school and were established doctors. That was kind of the, uh, the pillar of success. Yeah. So there are a couple of things that I wonder, you know, when it comes to being raised by immigrant parents, because there are a lot of things that I thought were a pain in the ass about the way that my parents raised me, you know, in our household, probably much like yours. Nobody, you know, puts your report cards on refrigerators for getting straight A's. That's just what they expect. Um, yeah. You know, it was like you go to the best damn school you can get into. And yeah. there are pros and cons to that in my mind. Like the significant upside to that is my parents taught me the value of intrinsic motivation, which has been instrumental later in my mm-hmm. life. Uh, and of course, the downside to that is that you end up really kind of, you know, chasing other people's dreams and, you know, measuring your life with other people's yardsticks. So I wonder for you, what were the pros and cons of being raised, uh, you know, by immigrants? The pros and cons? Well, yeah, no, I think in the same um, vein as yours, that's that intrinsic motivation, right? Just seeing how much my parents have sacrificed so that I would have this opportunity. I mean, they, they immigrated on a boat that, that was a life or death situation. And I was born here in the U S and now I have all these opportunities to be who, what, like do whatever I want to do. Or even as I'd say, you could even be, you know, the president of the United States because you're a citizen here. And so I really felt like, yeah, there was a lot of pressure to succeed, a lot of pressure to not let my parents down, a lot of pressure to, um, yeah, just be the best. And, and I'm glad that I have that intrinsically. No one like motivated me in high school other than myself to become like the overachieving valedictorian. I was the one who pushed myself to the point where my mom was even a little bit worried about my like craziness of like getting like an A minus. Right. So, um, I'd say that is the pro, like just being able to see how, f- how much our parents have sacrificed for us so that we would have this opportunity and we're going to make the most of it. And I think the cons of it is that, um, is they have certain ways of defining what success is and every generation is different in what success looks like. Right. And back then in the eighties and nineties growing up, success was like a very stable career. Right. And back then it was like lawyer, doctors, you know, professor, whatever it is that had like high status was successful. And, and we know now that that's different in this generation. It's like you could be an entrepreneur, you could be an influencer, you could be a creative and you could find your own success. But following that path, that is something that's a deviation from what your parents think is a betrayal of what they want for you. But I think that that's like the path of every um, daughter and son of an immigrant parent. You betray your parents, but ultimately you will find a way to show them that you are doing what they want for you, which is Mm -hmm. to create a life where you are filled with abundance and wealth, material, spiritual, emotional, and you'll show them that there's another way that looks different from what they thought, but it's your own unique way. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Mm, yeah. Well, speaking of your own unique way what happened after high school where did you go i mean i don't imagine you know go from being the valedictorian of your high school to doing what you do today which we'll get into yeah so what happened um well i graduated in the year 2000 which um was also the inaugural year of when bill gates and melinda gates um uh created their millennium scholarship and so i was a bill gates scholar 
And that scholarship paid for all of undergrad, full ride. And then at some point, they also announced like, they're like, well, we'll also pay for grad school if you go into one of these five domains. And it was like computer science, science, math, library science, and education. And all the other sciences wasn't quite resonating with me because I wanted to be like an artist. But I, uh, I was a psych major at UCLA and I was minoring in, in education. So I was like, well, education feels like uh, uh, a space I could explore. And if I get a full ride scholarship to graduate school, why not? I, I have no, like, no other plans after college. And so I went to grad school at Berkeley in the Department of Education. And in my first year of being a grad student, I just knew I didn't want to be a poor grad student because when I was <laughs> undergrad, <laughs> I was dating a graduate student and he was like poor and miserable and just always complaining about like how he just didn't have enough. And so I knew, I knew that I didn't want to be what he was doing. And so I, I wanted a side gig and, um, a couple of my friends from undergrad at UCLA moved up to the Bay Area at the same time, and two of them started working at this house of domination called the Gates. And one of them didn't have a good experience at all, and the other one did. And she just told me about her day at work one day, and um, she described what she did to me over like soup or something. And um, She's like, yeah, I tied a guy up. I put nipple clamps on him. I flogged him. I um, put a strap on, strap on on, and and uh, I don't know if we could use certain words here, but go for it. Okay, yeah. So she put a strap on on. She fucked him in the ass. She pissed on him, and then she got paid. And she used that money to pay for my soup for lunch. And um, and and as she was paying for it, she um had to break a hundred dollar bill. And she was like, yeah, it's my new problem. Now I have to break these hundreds wherever I go. And I was just like, whoa, okay. I want that story. I'm like, I want to tell stories like that. That's so cool that that's like another day at the office for her. And yeah. I want that problem of breaking hundred dollar bills wherever I go. And so I went in for an interview at the gates and um, started shadowing sessions. And soon enough, I was working at the gates and also my, funded by Bill Gates. I felt like for a period of time, I was like, everything related to the Gates is funding my life right now. So yeah. and that's how I became a dominatrix. Wow. And yeah. It, it, well, I, I was a Berkeley undergrad, so <laughs> believe me, I get the experience of being poor and being in Berkeley. Uh, yeah. Not a pleasant place to be poor because it's yeah. not a pleasant place in general. Uh, <laughs> Well, so obviously numerous questions come from this. Um, you know, I've had, you know, a porn star as a guest, we had a professional courtesan as a guest. Um, I think we've mm. had a dominatrix as a guest, I believe Cassia Urbaniak, if I remember correctly. Oh, yeah, was she was here. a former dominatrix. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess the uh, first place I want to start is, uh, you know, kind of overcoming the stigma of this. I mean, you are, you know, raised by these sort of traditional immigrant parents who have this definition of success of doctor, lawyer, engineer, and you go from grad school at Berkeley to becoming a dominatrix, which is really, you know, as far off the beaten path as you could possibly yeah. get. I mean, that's a ship that's, you know, sailed really far off course. So I, I guess yeah. the first thing is to, to sort of address, you know, how do you deal with the 
kind of cultural stigma that would come with something like that. Because I know in an Indian family, if anybody found out that you know, you know somebody was doing something like that, it would be the talk of the town and yeah. there would be no end to the amount of bullshit that that person would have to deal with. Right. Yeah, no, I... um. I, I hid what I did from my family and in academia for a really long time. And I, eventually, I think six years into it, I told my sister about what I did and she was worried about me and we were, we always kept our, each other's like secrets. And so I felt like it was safe with her. But like four years later, 10 years into being a dom, my sister outed me to my mom and and that was one of the most challenging experiences in my life because, you know, um, the way my sister framed it to my mom just made it sound like it was a horrible thing I was doing where I was hurting men, assaulting them, or I might get assaulted, I might get arrested. And they were just afraid for my life. And they they wanted me to quit. And my mom was just so, so upset and so sad. And she told me how she like, you know, she waited a month knowing this news. Like after my sister outed, she waited for me to come home to tell me in person what she knew. And that whole month, she's like, I couldn't sleep. When my sister told her, she said like her insides felt like it was just like, just, just felt like she was just being like, just gutted. And it's, you know, the most painful experience because, you know, as an immigrant child, as you know, like you, you just live to like make your parents happy and proud and not be worried about you. And for, for the longest time, I was the golden child. My mom was so proud of me, told, you know, all her relatives about all my accomplishments. And now I'm like the shame of the family. No one can know about this. And she's just worried for me and wants me to quit. And, um, and that was, you know, such a painful experience to see the disappointment in her and just to know every day that she's worried about me. And I had to choose between, oh, it felt like at that point, that ultimatum of like, you have to quit. And I just didn't want to. I just knew that this life that I created for myself, this unique path and all the relationships that I cultivated with my subs, it was just too too beautiful and too perfect to let go of. And so I made a promise to myself that I'm going to continue doing this work, but I'm going to also make my mom proud of me. And I know that up until that point when I was hiding all of this, I was perpetuating the misconceptions of what a dom was, what, what sex work was, what, by not telling my family about what I did. They were filled with misconceptions about this world. They thought it was awful and, and unsafe when it's the complete opposite. It's beautiful, filled with light and love and completely safe. And, and so I just made it a personal mission of mine to, to be completely out, dispel misconceptions, put my voice out there and, and share with the world what I think this this space is. And I think it's filled with a lot of truth and beauty. And that was what inspired me to create um, Pervet.com, which was initially a community blog where a lot of doms and subs would write in about their experiences. Um, the first theme was about 
um, secrets coming out, being outed. And, and so, yeah, I think that's kind of, wait, what was the question again? <laughs> yeah, you, you answered it perfectly and the, you, you set up the segue perfectly. So let, let's talk about the, the misconceptions, uh, that people have about sex work, because, you know, I think that, yeah. you know, one of the things that I really, uh, enjoyed when we had Sarah Vandella, the porn star here was, you know, really kind of you know, like destigmatizing the entire idea of the adult film industry and giving us a reality check, because I think you're right, uh, based on sort of, you know, what our cultural narratives are, particularly here in America, uh, you know, sex work is, you know, frowned upon, it's stigmatized, uh, you know, and it's basically one of those things where there's just tremendous social stigma. But what are the misconceptions that one people have about the work that you do. And then let's get into the misconceptions after that about uh, people have about the people that are your clients. Mm. I think the misconceptions that people have about um, being a dominatrix, or, are you talking about misconceptions about sex work or? Yeah, but I mean, both, I mean, both but, being a sex worker or dominatrix, I mean, you know, in your case, you know, dominatrix, like what are the misconceptions that you think that are perpetuated by media, you know, by people who don't know anything about this, um, but just people who, who see it from the outside? Yeah, I think it's um, one of the misconceptions is that this work is unsafe and that you don't know who you're going to meet and deal with and it. you may uh, run into situations where, where you're, you're put in danger. And I think that, um, what people don't know about these sessions is that before even a BDSM session begins, there's, there's a heavy amount of screening and negotiation that happens. And it's both the Dom and the sub are choosing very carefully who they want to play with. You choose you choose each other as you would like a partner, right? Someone that you find attractive, someone that you find for a sub, you, someone that you look up to and, and trust to take you somewhere that you can't go alone. And with the Dom, it's someone that you feel is sincere and honest with their intentions and their and their feelings and their fantasies. And before a session begins, you negotiate and you create a safe space for each other to share what our desires, what our limits are, and the feelings that come up from these experiences. And so there's a, a lot of communication that is happening before the session and throughout the session. And so that's the safe space that's being created to make this work really, really safe. Hmm. Well, you know, I mean, I think the, for me, another misconception is that the types of people who end up in, you know, a situation, sins like this or jobs like this are, you know, broken, come from screwed up families. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're a yeah. high school valedictorian who is a Berkeley grad student, uh, which completely goes, flies in the face of that. So what, what misconceptions do you think that people have about people who do this kind of work? Oh, uh, yeah. Like it could as you said, like those misconceptions also exist where it's like, oh, you must not have any other, like, this is a last resort of like making money or you're doing it just for the money. Um, or yeah, there must be something broken about you. That's why you're doing this work. And, and it's quite the opposite. I think it's someone who really knows themselves and knows their desires and knows their worth of their time. Right. Like, in this work, you're, 
you get to have so much freedom to, to see who you want to see, when you want to see them, how you want to see them, and how much you want to charge per hour for your time. And I think that those who are gravitating towards this work are those who just value their time, know, know themselves and their desires and, and are completely okay with saying, with being, uh, with not caring what others think about this work. It's like, I don't give a fuck that you think that I'm crazy or broken. It's like, I know what I want. I know that this is something that's really exciting and activating and makes it feel like every day I'm not working. I'm just playing. And that's the greatest hack. Yeah. So I love this idea of not caring, you know, what other people think. And I think that, you know, for creatives, that's incredibly relevant because if you are constantly living your life, you know, in pursuit of, you know, the opinions of people who will never live with the consequences of your choices, you can't do anything interesting or extraordinary. And I wonder how people, you know, apply that to their lives, regardless of whether we're talking about the kind of work that you do or not. I mean, how can they take the lessons from what you do and apply it to other areas of their life? Yeah, I think that's, isn't, yeah, that that's kind of the journey, right? The experience of really not looking around, but looking inward to finding your compass and, and trusting your intuition of where you ought to be and what you should be doing. Because if you look around and see what everyone else is doing, then you're just following the mainstream. And there is no creativity in that. There is just a lot of structure and, and monotony. And I think that that's our creative challenge of our time. Like everyone's life, this is what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to figure out our own unique path. And, and all you could do is really not think about what others would think. It's about how you feel. How do you feel waking up every day and knowing that this is your work? Are you excited about it? Or do you feel like, oh, fuck, it's another day, right? And it's about, I really think it's about getting out of your head and really not caring what others think and just really tuning into how you feel Mm. and letting that be your compass. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes nice dress uh it's a it's a t-shirt until you tried it on same goes for your health care 
That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Yeah. So tell me what a, a typical day in your life is like. like <laughs> and, you know, what is a typical one of these sessions like? Well, there is no typical day. <laughs> at yeah. all. They're all different. And, um, but let's see, I mean, one day I could be, well, I like to wake up and have a, like, I have a spiritual practice of prayer and meditation, journaling and, um, and making my matcha latte with all my adaptogens in it. So that's a ritual. But everything after that is pretty, uh, it's different. And some days I have sessions that are BDSM sessions with clients. Some days I have intimacy coaching sessions um, where I take people on a journey into new spaces as well. And um, I... Um, lead people onto psychedelic journeys. I, um, sometimes I just, uh, carve out days where it's completely unstructured. There's nothing on my schedule. And those are my favorite days. I call it my impromptuition days. And it's just completely, everything is impromptu and intuition based. Well, what do I feel like? And it feels like I'm asking my inner child, how do you feel? What do you want? And she just tells me what she wants to do. And she's just like, um, 
let's read this book. Just open this book randomly and read this page. Okay, now put it down and then get in the car, start driving. Okay, park wherever you find parking. And then like, it's just, I feel like I'm listening to my inner child and she leads me on this like magical journey throughout the day. And because it's like completely unstructured, it leaves a lot of room for serendipity synchronicities to happen and and on some of those days i'm like wait a second that was in my dream i had the night before this book i'm like oh wow if i didn't have this like completely open day i wouldn't be led to things that my unconscious are pushing me towards yeah wow so there are two things i'm curious about uh the intimacy coaching session and a bdsm session how do those two things differ i mean obviously they're probably dramatically different but Mm -hmm. um you know, and then I, what are, what are the, the misconceptions we have about the types of clients that you have? Because I think that, you know, anybody who goes to see a sex worker, um, that's not something anybody wants to admit. Like, it's not something that you openly talk about. And it's, you know, in a lot of ways, something you'd never want any female friend of yours to know about, uh, because it's so stigmatized, particularly here in the US. And I, I remember in other countries, I don't remember where it was, but there are countries where literally fathers take their boys to prostitutes to lose their virginity. Mm, that's so cool. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'd say the difference, um, there's, there's similarities and then there's, um, qualitative differences too. So the BDSM sessions take place in my dungeon, which is dark and has all the equipment and the toys. And we explore erotic fantasies and realize them in that space. And the intimacy coaching sessions take place in my home, which I call the goddess pad. And it's filled with a lot of light and space and it's tucked away in nature. And, um, and with BDSM sessions, you can imagine there's, it's pretty kinky and involves all the toys and, and fetishes and, and all those things that are kind of typical of a BDSM session. The intimacy coaching is my own special <laughs> blend of, um, work where I work with my clients who it's really, it's, I don't work with like, issues or problems that come up. I work with their dreams and their desires. Tell me what you want in your, for your life. Tell me what you want deeply for your relationships, for your work and career. And they share with me all of themselves, their story, their desires. And, and when we get together, it's a five, three to five hour journey and we go somewhere and sometimes there's a theme. Um, like for some, they're like, you know, I really want to explore having like one of my clients is a woman in her fifties. And she's like, I really want a college lesbian night because I, I never had that when I was in college. And so we would explore that space together. And, um, and sometimes I would lead them on a journey with, um, working with plant medicine and, and it's, yeah, it's, um, it's really hard to describe, but what I'm trying to create is this experience is that you're having an open relationship with me and I'm here to support you in your journey of realizing your wildest dreams, because I believe that a lot of growth, deep personal growth comes from being in relationship with someone to mirror you, to show you your blind spots, to show you your potential. And I think that in a lot of professional settings with coaching and therapy, you don't have that intimacy of like, you know, you're, 
the person you're working with professionally isn't going to tell you directly, hey, you know, maybe you're being, you know, they're not going to tell you directly and honestly that you need to shape up, that you need to do X, Y, Z, but I'm, I'm, like a friend and a lover and a partner, I'll tell you honestly what I think and feel and what's coming up and what I see. And I'm just a mirror for them. Hmm. So what about the the men who come to you for a BDSM session? Are they married? Do they have girlfriends? Do they have relationships? Like what, you know, what are they like in dead? What do we, you know, what misconceptions do we have about them? Yeah, no, I think it's a pretty wide range. Um, some are married, some have girlfriends. Um, Many are middle-aged and um, older, and uh, and I think that the common, if I if I were to like try to pinpoint like what's the most common quality in someone who is exploring or who sees a dominatrix is that they're curious, they're deeply curious about their fantasies and they want to explore them, yeah. um, and they they've reached a point where they know that this is something that they want to realize because for many people, we have lots of fantasies, erotic fantasies that excite us and activate us, but we just keep it to ourselves and, and, and it just stays there. But it takes a certain someone to be like, okay, I want to live this out. I want to explore what it feels like to let go. And I think the reason why most of my clients are men is because there, the conditioning, the socialization of what it means to be a man in our society pushes us to to have a very narrow bandwidth of that pushes men to have a narrow bandwidth to allow them to be a certain way, right? Because a man, because you're less of a man if you want to cry, if you're less of a man if you are not in control. And in leading and initiating sexual experience, right? But I think that most men are being denied so many experiences of fully letting go, fully being able to be guided by someone to go somewhere that they can't go alone, right? Like if you're always constantly initiating sexual encounters and experiences with your partner, you'll never have that experience of fully surrendering and following. And what does it feel to open up to someone? What does it feel to be fucked? What does it feel to be, to to just not know what's going to happen next? And I think that that's what most of my subs are desiring, that, that experience of the deepest surrender to their desire and to desire that surrender. And and to be able to find someone that they could trust and look up to and, and find attractive, <laughs> like, yeah. and be like, okay, take me somewhere. I can't go mm-hmm. alone. I mean, you know, in, in the spirit of transparency, I mean, this is what made me want to have a conversation with you because this is one of those things I'd always been curious about. And like, yeah, you know, my roommates are like, so you're into handcuffs and other shit like that. I'm like, yes, this turns me on. Um, but I wanted to, you know, explore it and kind of get an idea of what it's, you know, the reality. So, okay. How much of this is sexual and how much of this is not like, I, that's one thing I wonder, like, does it lead to orgasms? Like, I'm just curious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, this is a good question. And kind of one of the misconceptions that people have about doms, they're like, well, if you're seeing a dom, you must be having sex with her. Right. But 
the typical BDSM sessions, there is no sex. Um, there is typically self-release, which is when the dom allows a sub to masturbate and, and come at the end of the session. And sometimes they don't. It could be that they want to prolong the chastity and the teasing and denial and all of that. So, um, yeah. Uh, so I would say it's very sexual in the sessions, but it's not in the way that you think in the common vanilla sex. It's finding all the other ways that you can be turned on and get off that isn't straight up sex. And I think that's the fun part of exploring like, oh my God, I didn't know it'd be so hot to be pissed on. Oh my God. Wow. I can't believe I just got off on that. Right. And I think what happens is that, um, you know, I've been thinking a lot about, well, like why, why do the men that come to see me have these fetishes and fantasies and desires? Right. And, and I think a lot of people ask that too, where they're like, why would you want to be cuckled in? Why would you want to experience being kidnapped? Or why would you want small penis humiliation? <laughs> like if you think about these fetishes, they're all the things that most men are afraid of because it would make them less of a man if that happened to them. And I think that a lot of subs, it's not like they intentionally consciously want this fetish. They're not going to wake up one day and say, you know what? I want small penis humiliation as a fetish. It just happens, right? Something in our subconscious just planted that seed. And now we feel like we have to scratch that itch and experience it. And I think that that subconscious desire comes from a collective self-conscious. And this, I think that all the fetishes that are, that are in kink, is dependent on the cultural context of what it of what it means to be a, a man and what it means to be masculine. So all the fetishes that you that we think about in kink are actually part of the collective male fear. Wow. Right? Cock and ball torture, small penis humiliation, cuckolding, all of that. That's the collective male fear. And the subs that are coming to experience this, they're saying you know what? I want to face this fear. I don't want to run away from it for, like everybody would. I yeah. want to f- experience this and fucking get off on it. Wow. That makes me wonder, you know, speaking of cultural context, what did your parents teach you about sex growing up? Because Indian parents don't have sex talks with their children. I know this <laughs> because I never got one. Yeah. Basically, the closest thing to it I got was when my dad caught me looking at porn, you know, in his lab. He was a professor. And this was, you know, when the Internet had just started in the, the 90s. And as in, I've asked a lot of guys who are my age, was the first thing that you looked at on the Internet? And I think almost all of us, if we we're being honest, would say porn. My dad literally came in and this was before we had, you know, browser history and, you know, we could you know cover our tracks. And somehow, you know, he says, he's like, were you looking at pictures of Pamela Anderson in my office? I was like, yes, yes, I was. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, what my parents told me is don't have sex. (laughs) 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 Sounds about similar to what an Indian parent would say to their kids. You don't want to be, you know, like, yeah, you want to keep yourself clean and pure and not be like, I can't remember the analogy of like, you know, just like something that's already like damaged or eaten or something like that. You know, there's a lot of connotations to um, exploring 
<laughs> having sex before marriage. Yeah. And I was Mormon for um, a good eight years too. Oh, wow. So yeah, I was also had that um, belief or idea that I shouldn't have sex until I was married. So, hmm. so how does this end up affecting, you know, normal like intimate relationships like boyfriends and, you know, things like that for, for somebody like you? Because I know, you know, I remember talking to um, one of the women we had here as a professional courtesan. How do you have a boundary between somebody who's a client and somebody who starts falling in love with you? And then, you know, what are your normal relationships like when you have them? Yeah, I think it's pretty typical, or at least in my experiences, for my clients to fall in love with me. Um, because we're, the, we're in a space where they're completely seen and understood and heard. Like they get to share everything with me. And, and so, and not only am I accepting of it, I'm excited to play with it. And, and we go deeper each time that we see each other in our play, in our explorations. And so it's, it's a real relationship. Yeah. And, um, and I allow them to, to express that. And I mean, a lot of them in their, the heights of their pain and ecstasy, they tell me they love me. And I, I allow that because I think that this is what a BDSM session is. I, I truly think it's a microcosm of life, the experience of life. And I think that everything that happens inside the dungeon is what we're supposed to be doing outside of the dungeon, all of us. Right. I think that we're all supposed to be choosing very carefully who we want as our partner, who we can trust to take us somewhere. And we're supposed to strip ourselves of all our clothes, our layers, our ego, and be seen completely. And we're supposed to say, okay, I'm going to fully let go. I'm going to surrender and just step into the unknown with you. We're supposed to not run away from the pain and humiliation, degradation. And we're not supposed to say, I want more of this and less of that, because that's not what life is. Life is just going to deliver to you whatever it thinks it needs to push you to the edge of your evolution. And through the whole experience of the BDSM session, there's only one thing you have to say in practice. In every moment, it's yes, mistress, I accept. Thank you. Every moment of pleasure, pain, degradation, it's that practice. Yes, I accept. Thank you. I accept being tortured by this reality. I accept this chaos that I can't control. And I'm finding a way to say thank you because I'm seeing something that I couldn't see before. I know myself more deeply now. I know myself. I know my limits. I know how limitless I can be. I know how soft these spaces are, this boundary is when I could be pushed. And something happens when you could find your pleasure and pain, your freedom and bondage, and your power and submission. You've transcended the duality of life. You've transcended yourself. And so this is the practice of what we should be doing in our lives every day. And when you step into the dungeon, it's just a very obvious in-your-face Vert like practice of that, right? Like BDSM just makes it way more obvious that this is what we're supposed to be doing, right? When we see the bondage, when we see the gag and blindfold and the golden handcuffs that's on us, we see the bondage. And when we see that bondage, we know that we have a choice. 
to get out of that bondage if we want. We could say our safe word, we're out, right? Or we could figure our way to find our freedom and center in that bondage. But in our everyday lives, we don't see the blindfold. We don't see the golden handcuffs. We just think this is how it is. And when you don't see the choice that you have to figure, find your way out of this bondage, that's when you're stuck. That's when you've lost your power. But in the dungeon, you see everything. You see the bondage. You see your submission. You choose it. And when you have that conscious choice, that's when you have your power. The sub has so much power. The dom has so much power. Everyone in that space has so much power because it's a conscious choice that they're both making to be in that space. But outside the dungeon, we're not being conscious of the choices that we have. We're not even conscious of the choices that we have before us because we don't even see the bondage. Because the bondage isn't as material as a gag or a blindfold or rope. The the bondage is in our mind, right? It's the limits of what we think is possible. It's the judgments of others that hold us back from saying what we want to say, doing what we want to do, and being who we want to be. If we're not doing what we want to do in every moment, we have some bondage that we need to see and work through and find our way out. Damn. Wow. Um, that was profound and thought provoking. Uh, so what about the the other question? Boyfriends, things like that. Like, Do you have normal relationships with people? Do I have normal? Um uh, if normal is monogamish, then no, I don't. Okay. I, I'm in an open relationship and I have two life partners, lovers, and, um, my, my first partner was my client and we've been together in this open relationship for seven years now. And I just, love him so much. And my second partner is someone that I've been with for a year now. And he's also incredible. I, I, both my partners are my soulmates. They are here in my life to push me to the edge of my evolution. And I didn't even believe in soulmates until, um, I did acid with my client, <laughs> my said client, um, seven years ago. And the veil was lifted. This person that I didn't think was my type was exactly who I was supposed to be with. And we've been together ever since. And we have this expanding, wacky, open relationship where I like, he's currently with a friend that I've introduced him to. And they're, they're having this beautiful blossoming relationship. And I feel like I have sister wives and it's, um, yeah, just a really, uh, beautiful polycule. And, you know, it, it took a lot of time to get to this place where we can have this relationship that is this expansive. It took a lot of learning how to communicate skillfully and, um, and knowing ourselves and expressing our feelings and insecurities and jealousies when they come up. Right. And it's not like you could have this relationship. It's not like if you're in an open relationship, you've like over, like you have no jealousy. It's like, no, those things are there, but it's how you, how you express it and how you work through it and how you examine them. Mm. You know, I think that the thing that struck me most was that you've said words being pushed to the edge of your evolution multiple times throughout our conversation. <laughs> and yeah. what I wonder is 
how this ends up impacting you know other areas of people's lives so we say a client comes to you how does it affect their performance at work or in their business because if they're being pushed the edge of their evolution i'd imagine it basically you know leads to incredible outcomes in other areas of life yeah no i think that it's how how one makes meaning of those experiences right if you could see like oh wow if I could be pushed in this way, if I could fully let go in this way and expand like how I see myself and, and what I thought was a limit is no longer a limit. What I thought was a boundary is no longer a boundary. I think that's kind of like the, the skill and the craft of the dominatrix to really, you know, know where the subs boundaries are and push them right to it. And just a little bit beyond, but not to the point where they would say they're safe for it. It's just so that they could see it's like, oh, I thought that was a limit, but now I see that it's not, and I'm actually getting off on it and I want to explore it a little bit more. Right. And so th- I think that's the, the fun of all of this, being able to explore our boundaries and our limits and realizing they're softer than we think. You know, but if we never explore them, we always think it's a hard stop. And and the key is just to create the safe space with deep trust and intimacy so that we can explore the limits and bounds of ourselves. And that what we thought was an edge, we get to be pushed a little bit further. And when you pushed a little bit further, that's the edge of your evolution as I see it. And, you know, I see it in, happening in life all the time when like things happen to you that are incredibly challenging and painful. That's you being pushed to the edge. And you could choose to see it as the edge of your evolution. If you choose to see like, what am I going to learn from this deep pain and suffering? How am I going to find my way out of this suffering? Right when you can figure out your way out of that pain, that painful experience, that painful challenge, you have unlocked a part of yourself that can take more, that can experience the depths of life, the, the breath of life as well. Wow. Uh, amazing. Well, I have, uh, one final question for you, which is how we finish all of our interviews at the unmistakable creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? What do you, what do we think it is that makes someone unmistakable? Yeah. Oh, okay. Wow. I'm going to let that question sink for a second. So what do I think it is that makes something or someone unmistakable? Is that the question? That is the question. It's... It's knowing your truth. It's, it's the, it's knowing yourself. It's doing that deep work of really exploring and getting to know every part of yourself, especially the shadow, especially the shame, especially the parts that are so painful. When you can explore the depths of yourself and get to know yourself that you you have something that you have your truth that's and when you can embody that truth seek that truth and express that truth it becomes so clear to yourself and everyone around you that 
you are you, that you're not looking around to figure out who you are. You just have looked so deep inside. You have let every moment, every experience of life allow you to see yourself more clearly. And I think every moment of life offers us that opportunity to get closer to our truth. And when we seek it and express it, it becomes unmistakable. This is you. Amazing. Um, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and share your story, your wisdom, and your insights. With listeners. This has been one of my favorite conversations I've had all year. Mm. Oh my gosh, I'm so happy to hear that. Yeah. Mm. Where can people find out more about you, uh, your work, and uh, everything else you're up to? Um, well, people could find me on, I have a website called pervet.com that I've been working on for seven years now. It's still a work in progress. Um, it's an evolving website and it's a very intimate space where I share my dreams, my wisdoms, and I'm beginning to share my stories as well. And it's also a space where people could see what my offerings are as a dominatrix, a shamanatrix, as an educatrix. And I'm about to uh, launch a course called Mistress Class in October, um, teaching women and femmes how to come into their power and become dominatrices. And you could also find me on Instagram and Twitter. Amazing. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch, the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.